Hey guys, so I just wanted to pop on here and say that our schedule is going to be every other week and that's why the audio might sound a little bit different for Cody's part um, because we wound up unintentionally taking like a week to record again. Being parents keeps you busy. <laughs> so thank you guys so much for your patience um, and again, sorry if the audio seems different than it was last time. Yeah. Hello, friends. And welcome to Fawns and Fauna, a podcast about creatures real or otherwise. I'm your host, Cody Conklin. And I'm your host, Ash Conklin. So, Ash, how's your week been? Um, it's been pretty good. I had a really good workout at the gym and we got our daughter a little playground and pool for the backyard and she seems to really enjoy both of them which is nice gives us another activity to do so how has your week been it's good really hot here so yeah i'm ready for winter what's a good animal you've seen today or recently well, there are seldom any animals that I see that aren't frequented in other places. Um, I've seen many a groundhog. I've seen so many groundhogs recently. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. I don't know why there are so many of them. <laughs> I don't know. I feel like in the last week I've seen more groundhogs than I've seen in my entire life. Yeah, and they're always on the side of the road. And always. I'm like, look, buddy, this is not a safe place for you. I promise you will find better food elsewhere. Like, this is not where it's at. So, yeah. Also, before we jump into our creatures, um, I wanted to, well, we both wanted to say thank you guys so much mm -hmm. for all of your support. We have had, I think, 14 downloads since the last time I checked, but that was like a day ago or something like that. Yeah. But it's pretty bonkers to me that we have that many. We are also trying to get our podcast on Apple Podcast. Um, so thank you guys for your patience and listening through platforms that you might not normally listen to. But as soon as we get it up and running on Apple Podcasts, we will post on our Instagram. We'll put it on our story so that you guys can be notified. But thank you guys so much for following our Instagram, interacting with us, and for showing your support. We are really, really grateful. And we can't wait to continue to explore all these weird creatures with you guys. Mm -hmm. So... Speaking of, I guess I can go ahead and get started. I'm already buckled. <laughs> so the creature that I have for this week is not as insane as the sea cucumber, which... Good. Yeah. So the way that I am kind of going to go about doing these animals so that there's kind of a system and I don't spend an absurd amount of time doing like marine animals at mm. one time. I'm going to do segments. Um, so last episode was obviously a marine animal. 
And so now we are going to go to essentially the opposite of the ocean and go to mountains. So this week I'm going to be covering the Andean mountain cat. Well, okay then. <laughs> so this animal, first and foremost, is absolutely adorable. It is so cute and as always, I will post pictures on the Instagram of both Cody and I's creatures. So the Andean mountain cat is a small wild cat found in the Andes mountains in South America. So they are an extremely endangered species. Like there's less of them than there are pandas, if that tells you anything. Oh. Yeah. Okay. So there is, according to a video that I watched, but that video, um, I believe, was recorded in 2017 or 18. So okay. it's, it's kind of old. Yeah. Um, but at that point, there was only 1,378 oh in the gosh. wild. Yeah. So there is not a lot of them. They were traditionally considered to be sacred by the indigenous um, Aymara and Quechua people. Quechua? Quechua? I think it's Quechua. Quechua and um, Aymara. I'm hoping that I'm saying those correctly, but I'm probably not. <laughs> but I did my best. The anatomy of these Leo guys, they have ashy gray fur with black, yellow, and brown splotches. What? They're so cute. I know, right? What the heck? I know. They look like kittens, but like, this is going to sound dumb. They look like kittens that someone kind of like hit with like a grow ray uh -huh. like they turned it to wombo because their little face is so they like have little kitten uh -huh. faces yeah they're so cute so you are looking at a picture of them right? i am yes okay so their average size is if you took like a normal house cat and yeah. like it's like 1.5 oh. normal house cats okay so so like garfield size yeah so they're small when it comes to wild cats uh -huh but they're bigger than your average house cat. Interesting. You, yeah. They all look so grumpy and I love <laughs> it. Um, so they're extremely similar to the Pampa's cat, um, Pampa's I'm, cat. I'm not familiar. They are almost identical, okay. which is part of the reason why scientists have such a hard time learning about these cats because it's so hard to differentiate between the uh, two. Um, but they are like distinct species. So, yeah, the easiest identifiable difference between the two is that the Andes mountain cats have black noses, whereas okay. the pompous cats have pink noses. I was looking at a picture of a pink nosed cat. Yeah, so that's a pompous cat. And you'll see like when you find an Andes mountain cat, they look so similar, but literally like the black nose and the pink nose is the huh. easiest identifiable thing because they as you can see as you're looking at them, they both have rings on their tails, yeah. kind of like lemurs. Uh -huh. But the pompous cat, theirs is more like, like you know tigers, how like it could be a ring that goes all the way yes. around their body, but it's not, gotcha. like it's like really, so that's kind of how theirs is, where it's like almost rings, uh -huh. but the um, Andes mountain cat is full rings. Gotcha. Yeah. Hmm. 
So these cats live in high elevation points in the Andes. So the... <laughs> what? It's, they sure do. <laughs> these mountain cats. Okay, well, they could live in the valleys of the mountains. That's, no, you're right. But they... So to sh explain how high of the elevation these cats live at, the lowest point that these cats have been found was at 5,900 feet, oh which is 1,800 meters. Yeah. So they live in very high altitude. The, um, and that was in the southern Andes. And then in Chile, Bolivia, and central Peru, these cats can be found in altitudes up to 1,300 feet or 4,000 meters. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. So, it's, so on the low end, they're at about a mile. Mm -hmm. That's crazy. Yeah. So they live really high up in the altitude. That's another reason. Like the terrain is so hard to traverse uh -huh. that scientists, it's hard to find these creatures and it's hard to study them. And is it, it's the kind of thing where they're, I'm assuming like in the mountains, they're not losing a lot of their natural habitat right like they are and we'll get to that okay yeah so like i said it's very arid terrain sparsely vegetated it's super rocky not to be confused with the rockies ha <laughs> <laughs> uh <-huh>. got him <laughs> i'm going to kind of jump around a little bit because there's just a lot and it's kind of hard to talk about these cats without talking about human relation to them because there's so few of them that a lot of it comes from like scientists and they're going and camping mm -hmm. yeah. in these mountains and trying to find them and like having such a hard time because of yeah. like the threats to these animals. So like I said, they are extremely endangered. Um, they are the most endangered cat in the Americas. Okay. Um, and some specialists of this cat have been studying them for 18 years and have never seen one. In the wild, anyway. I was going to say. <laughs> I don't know how you can be a specialist. In... Okay. <laughs> well, so I got all of this information from a video, which I can link in the show notes where there was an expert on mm -hmm. these cats and she was kind of explaining like what their organization does mm -hmm. and what the scientists are trying to achieve. And she was explaining that they are endangered, which is why they need so much help. Mm -hmm. um, and that was a comment that she made of like, scientists have been studying them for almost two decades uh -huh. and have never seen one in the wild the term like studied is so odd in that instance yeah i mean i feel like at that point you're mostly just studying their environment yeah and like learning a mu as much as you can about their behavior from that these people are studying the andes mountains and they're like <laughs> oh no I'm, I'm definitely i'm an animal guy <laughs> they flunked out of geology school yeah so <laughs> this is a little back door into it they want to be like indiana jones you could say that they took the underground to get to they're going underground they're under 
cover underground. Why are, why is it underground though? <laughs> do these cats live underground? No, but it has to do with rocks. Okay. <laughs> Could have said they have like a rocky road. No. <laughs> they took the See, high this road. Is, this is one of the many reasons why you're the dad. <laughs> <laughs> You know, the, the people around them, the professors, the bosses that didn't give them a chance took the low road. But like these cats, they took the high road. <laughs> so the space where the Andean cats live is roughly the size of Alaska, like for the square footage, you know, yeah. but it's like spread out long ways. So that's how the Andes along mountains, the mountains do. Yeah. Yep. So Alaska yeah. is huge. Very big. And there's only 1,400 of these cats. Yeah. So to give a little bit of an idea of like yeah. how sparsely these cats are spread throughout yeah. this huge mountain range. Part of the reason why they are endangered is because they live in constant conflict with humans and mountain lions which i know is kind of a uh, weird they're not prey of the mountain lion mountain lions are just like very territorial so what happens is humans use hunting dogs to go after mountain lions to get their fur oh. and the hunting dogs will also attack the andean mountain cats interesting yeah and the mountain cats will feel really like threatened obviously when the dogs obviously. come and mountain lions are a lot better at fighting dogs than the Andean mountain cats are. Wow. And so the cats will just like, you know, leave. Yeah. <laughs> so. Well, I mean like, I think a little Garfield doesn't have much of a chance against a big hunting dog. Yeah. Whereas like mountain lions are quite big, mm -hmm. quite strong. Yeah. So. Um, hmm. Their biggest threat, however, is habitation loss, which is interesting because they live in high altitude mountains, yeah. but it's coming from mining. Oh. Yeah. So. Like the Chilean miners. Oh boy. <laughs> Why'd you have to go and bring that up? <laughs> it was an inside job. <laughs> Now that was an underground operation. <laughs> okay, so. I think we peaked. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> well, let, let me bring us back down to earth. <laughs> so, the life and behavior of these cats, obviously, not much is known about them. That's literally my first bullet there. But... One fun thing about them is they're crepuscular, which means that they are mostly active during twilight. Oh, that's fun. Yeah. Kind of like uh, uh, Kristen Stewart's career. Oh my gosh. <laughs> sure. <laughs> um, so they are crepuscular and sometimes nocturnal. So they are likely a solitary species except during mating season, which that tracks for almost every wild cat there is. Yeah. They, except for lions, cats don't tend to be in like herds or packs. Um, that's Oddly not enough, lone wolves. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it's just 
easier for them to find prey that way. Oh yeah. Especially since like the prey that they're going after is smaller mammals like the chinchilla used to be a huge okay. prey of theirs until they also started to go endangered in the wild. Um so now they actually feed on um uh viscacha which is a mix between a rabbit and a chinchilla. So it's essentially a chinchilla with rabbit ears. It's kind of adorable. what it looks like. Yeah. So that's their new primary prey, but it used to be the chinchilla. Do they live they live up that high? That's crazy. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Yeah. So they also feed on small birds, waterfowl, lizards, and insects. So with that in mind, like it's a lot easier for them to be solitary creatures, mm-hmm. whereas lions are taking down like giraffes at some yeah. points and so fighting in a like group is a lot more beneficial to them so that's kind of all we know hmm. about their life and behavior aside from they like to hide <laughs> so i already mentioned the threats to them and so now i kind of want to talk a little bit about the conservation efforts that are going on to help these animals. So there are quite a few plans. The organization that I found the video of Hmm? um, and is like the most prominent organization is the Andean Cat Alliance, which I really like because it kind of makes them seem like a superhero, like Andean Cat Alliance, you know? Yeah. Like rescue heroes. I love it. But, um, so this alliance has quite a few plans, and like I said, I'll post their website in the show notes along with a link to where you can make any donations Hmm. to their alliance. That's cool. So they, a huge thing that they're trying to prevent is further habitat loss, Mm -hmm. and they are also trying to minimize continuation of mining, like they're trying to push back against that Mm -hmm. by reigniting and focusing on traditional like cultural reverence for the Andean cat okay basically and so like bringing it back to the like cultural roots of seeing it as this sacred animal to Mm, kind of like prevent people from wanting to hunt it and like not care about it i guess it's kind of like for us when like bald eagles weren't in a great spot Mm -hmm. it's just like hey guys this is like our bird Mm -hmm. and so everyone's like gotta do it for america right yeah okay and so another like step that they are trying to take is prey maintenance and restoration so like Hmm. i said chinchillas are extremely endangered Mm -hmm. and that was one of the main preys but chinchillas have been highly commercialized and so poaching has been crazy because people want them for their fur and they also want them for pets so Mm. getting them on the black market and like all that kind of stuff and so also trying to maintain the prey that they already have like the Mm viscachas and making sure that those don't become endangered or anything like that my favorite thing that the andean cat alliance is doing is a program called cat crafts where they are developing sustainable economic alternatives for local communities. Okay. So they're taking traditional techniques and raw materials 
to help women get jobs that are like you kind of, you see this stuff a lot where they're like making clothes mm-hmm. and making jewelry and stuff like that to build income and use that as an incentive to have that be like where they're getting their income from as opposed to mining Mm -hmm. because it is flourishing their culture Mm -hmm. and it's allowing them to use resources that they have readily available and it also is allowing the women to feel empowered Mm -hmm. and children can be involved and it's protecting the wildlife habitats and is just like generally a great great program Mm -hmm. um so if you are interested at all in donating to the andean cat alliance you can go to donate.wildnet.org and there's a little drop down menu and you can choose the andean cat Um, And this is through the Wildlife Conservation Network, not through the Andean Cat Alliance website. You can find the link through that website, but I'll go ahead and put this direct link in the show notes, as well as the link that has the video with, um, there's, I think, three experts on the Andean cat who talk. It's like a almost 30 minute video and they talk about... um, everything that they've been doing for the conservation and one woman comes and she talks about how her and her team of researchers went and they camped in the mountains Mm -hmm. and set up like traps not like bear traps but like safe traps where they'll just be enclosed so that they can bring them back and research them or like put a tag on them to track Mm. them in the wild and stuff so it's a really interesting video and I recommend that you guys check it out, especially if you are wanting to learn more about the conservation efforts. But yeah, that is the Andean mountain cat. Well, thank you, honey. Yeah. That was really cool. So honey, what creature do you have for me today? Well, first, I want to start off by apologizing to the experts of the Indian mountain cat for some of the comments I made. Oh, wait, why? Um, they were in poor taste. Do you remember I was making fun of them for being experts? In oh. And after thinking about it for a second <laughs> and considering what I bring to this podcast, <laughs> as I rely almost entirely <laughs> on experts who have never seen the thing they're experts on. <laughs> Put that together. So, thank you for your work and your conservation efforts. Mm-hmm. Back to your <laughs> regularly scheduled programming. <laughs> so, I'm going to start with one such expert. <laughs> a man by the name of Paracelsus. Yeah, I know him from Sawbones. As you should. I can't remember why I know him from Sawbones, though I just know him from Sawbones. Well, let me jog your memory. Paracelsus was born in 1943. That did it. I know everything about him. <laughs> so, he was a Swiss physician, lay theologian, philosopher, and alchemist. So just a real <laughs> renaissance man. Um, What was that last one that you said? That What's last the, one? The one The last after... one where you just implied that he was a wizard? No. <laughs> <laughs> philosopher right you said the second to last no 
Um, alchemist, I believe is what I heard. Alchemist, lay theologian. So, alchemy. Uh, you would probably know him as the father of modern toxicology. Father of toxicology? I think just the father of toxicology. Not modern. Well. But I don't think they had ancient toxicology, so you can include it if you want. <laughs> well, they, they might have used that phrase, but I don't know. I just know that they talk about him on Sawbones for things that he said about stuff that was wrong. <laughs> well, I'm not saying he's wrong about this. Well, okay. So, after he died, mm-hmm. there was one of his books was released, and it is called The Book of Nymphs sylphs pygmies and salamanders <laughs> why are salamanders there and other spirits <laughs> what's this dude got against salamanders well does does he wait no wait but they're re- salamanders are real though we're not covering that in this episode <laughs> probably circle back at some point (laughs) yeah surprise that's my next animal (laughs) not really but maybe one day what a crazy confluence of events would it be so i'm gonna read a little section from that book so my butt is strapped on the mountain people have a coarse chaos and as little as we are hampered by the air as little as they are hampered by the earth They do not require our air. In the earth, the earth is air to them. Any guesses? And it's not salamanders. Not salamanders. Well, it sounds like dwarves. Well, you're pretty close, and by that I mean you're kind of (laughs) right. It's gnomes. I love gnomes. So. The book series that I'm reading right now has gnomes. Oh. So, for Paracelsus, he uses the phrase gnome as pygmies oh like interchangeably and that like the conflation Mm -hmm. of gnomes and pygmies is seen in every text i could find that talked about them oh interesting like you said dwarves Mm -hmm. are very similar leprechauns also come from like the same so he introduced all of this so like dwarves leprechauns gnomes um even trolls and one person used them with elves like they would say in the elves also known as gnomes or the gnomes uh, well, who are the elves yeah i feel like when i hear the word elf i think of like lord of the rings the like tolkien elf right but these are like keebler right the little elves. cookie yeah. elves yeah or like like santa's elves yeah so okay. that's more and Pretty much every culture, not all across the world, there are like people have stories of little people who either live in the mountains or live in the forest. Mm-hmm. Like the Native Americans had stories about it. Um, the Scottish, obviously, do the of, like, Scottish, the wee do. yeah, mm-hmm. um, England, Ireland, Wales, the United Kingdom, mm-hmm. Germany, yeah, so. I think it's interesting that like all these cultures several of which 
apparently weren't supposed to have interacted. Yeah. As far as we know, have stories about little people living yeah. in mountains and stuff. That is strange. So maybe Paracelsus is a gnome. Well, so he never claimed to have seen them. He, being a man of science, saw the natural world mm. and saw these elementals, as he called them, as ways to like explain phenomena he saw, basically. Mm-hmm. Like tiny little villages made out of mushrooms. Well. <laughs> Wait, what? We'll get to it. <laughs> so. Let's start out with how they look. Okay, I'm ready. When you picture a gnome, what is what is he? Okay, so I they. picture a very small creature. Mm-hmm. Like, okay, so you know house elves from Harry Potter? Yes. So picture them, but with like a, a fun hat. Oh, really? Yeah. That's interesting. For gnomes, I always found that they were more, like, on the creature side. That's so interesting. Yeah, and so I always kind of pictured them as, like, less wrinkly, but just as pale as, like, house elves. Weird. With fun hats on. Now that hat, Mm -hmm. is there a specific color? Mm, Like, olive green. This is the wildest thing I've ever heard. What? (laughs) Is this wrong? No. Am I wrong? Play along at home. Okay. Wait, not me. Okay. Everyone, close your eyes and picture a gnome. A small, portly man with just a thick white beard and a red hat. You literally just described a smurf. Oh, like a garden gnome. (laughs) Like a garden gnome. (laughs) Wait, you're doing garden gnomes? It's all gnomes. There's just one race. Can I tell you something? Please. I had completely forgotten about garden gnomes until you so- showed me that picture just well, no, now. Well, no, no. So it's interesting that that's... Because for me, whenever I think of a gnome, my first thought is a garden gnome. Oh! But for you, you picture what they were originally... <gasps> originally, the term for them was grotesques. Can that be my new name? No. <laughs> It's really cool. Grotesque? (laughs) Yeah, that's so metal. I guess. (laughs) I think it's cool. Well, okay. (laughs) They were also known as hunchbacks. Okay. That's Um, not very kind. And this is all... Maybe there's the first one, though. Well, not kind. This is what the Germans refer to them as, because... You know, that tracks. (laughs) They're very honest people. Honest people, but also, like... The hotbed for folk Attractive tales. people? Oh. <laughs> Clearly not. They got a bunch of little ugly gnomes running around. Well, I meant that that's why they call them that. Oh. <laughs> well, okay. <laughs> so, back to the appearance. Paracelsus describes them as being two span tall. Span like hands? Span like hands. Okay. So it's a hand outstretched from thumb to pinky. Um, So it's like how you measure horses. Yes. They're uh, described as being reluctant to interact with people. Same. And obviously, like we saw in the passage, they can just kind of walk through the earth. Mm. They don't need to breathe or anything. Like I said, they're tied closely with dwarves and also elves, uh, but like Tolkien and... All the other people have 
differentiated them a lot more over the years. Yeah, I feel like Tolkien kind of, like, changed what elves were. Mm-hmm. And then every fantasy that came after that was like, ooh, that's excellent. Yeah. Let me make it my own thing now. They're also linked to leprechauns and trolls, like, They're similar also appearances. Linked. Like from Zelda. Uh. Uh Uh-huh. And after you gave your description, I think it, like, before I was like, I don't really see how they're tied to trolls because Mm. I see, like, when I see a house elf Mm -hmm. in Harry Potter, that's kind of what I picture a troll to be like. I mean, not like, unless it's like a giant troll or something. That's crazy. I always picture trolls as essentially if you took a sack of potatoes and made it sentient. Well. (laughs) Also, I don't know why I said potatoes like I was from Wisconsin. Well, you are from Wisconsin. (laughs) I've never even been to Wisconsin. It was a very complicated birth. (laughs) In Wisconsin. (laughs) You were born late in Utah. Punctual Wisconsin. <laughs> anyway. Um, however, there are major personality differences between gnomes and trolls. Um, yeah, I would, yeah. So, moving into garden gnomes. Mm. This is where it gets so crazy. Like Gnomeo and Juliet? Yep. Wait, really? <laughs> like the movie? Yeah. They're garden gnomes? Yeah. Yes. But it's going to get crazy like that? I mean, I don't think Shakespeare is as involved. <laughs> I'm ready. Okay. I'm excited. Well, it's infinitely crazier than Romeo and Juliet. Yeah? I, I don't remember that movie being especially buck wild. They were gnomes that came to life and were dancing in bird baths and stuff. And there was espionage involved, I think. I did see Pinocchio. I don't really remember that movie, if I'm being honest. Honey, neither do the people that made it. (laughs) Well, so, garden gnomes. Mm -hmm. I'm sure this might not come as a surprise to you, but the Romans had little statues. Yep, that tracks. That they would put in their gardens to ward off evil spirits. Mm. Um, Usually it was like some kind of fertility deity. They would pop down to Auntie M's. Yeah, ATMs, because of Medusa. When they go to her little, like, shop and there's a bunch of statues. Or maybe, you know, they were moving around in the sunlight and got turned to stone. (gasps) That happens! To trolls! To trolls! The gnome's cousin. That's crazy! I think the idea is that these statues just depict the little helpers that come. Mm -hmm. Because... That's what gnomes do, is they help with people's gardens. So I think this is just kind of like a nice thing, Mm. was the mindset. Or, perhaps, people today are following in the tradition of the Roman Emperor Hadrian, who hired hermits to live in his garden. Wait, what? Hired hermits? Hermits. Like people who wanted to, like you and me? Yes. To live... In his garden. Where there were other hermits? Other hermits, and then whoever Hadrian brought over for, like, parties, and he would be like, hey, look at these people who live in my garden. Okay. But. So they weren't very committed hermits then. Well, 
That's so odd. Of all the kind of people that you would want to ask to live in your garden. Yeah, the Romans were up to some pretty wild stuff. You know who else was up to wild stuff? Paracelsus? 18th century England. That does not surprise me. Where this practice came back into popularity. (gasps) They would contract people to live as hermits in their gardens. And it came with a contract that they had to sign that would usually outline the rustic living conditions that they had to keep, unheated outbuildings, they weren't allowed to speak to anyone or wash themselves, they had to wear disheveled tunics, and they had to let their body go unkept, meaning growing out their fingernails and hair and beards. Oh my gosh. Why would people do that? Because it's 18th century England and they're really rich and bored. No, I mean like the people who sign those contracts. Well, it's better to look like you're living in poverty than living in poverty. But they kind of are though. Unless they're getting fed and like let sleep in the house or something. And I will say the fingernails thing wouldn't actually be that bad because it would kind of be like wild horses and dogs and stuff. How like you don't have to like have a farrier come and like take care of wild horses feet because like in the wild farrier come and take care of them (laughs) but like they grind their own nails down Mm. basically and it maintains so you would just do that with your hermitly activities but that's bonkers to me like why would some the only reason i can think that someone would wind up in that situation is like a blackmail type thing this guy stole something from somebody and this third party person found out about it and was like hey be a hermit or i'm gonna tell on you and ruin your life yeah i have no idea about (laughs) what i told you is all the research i did on this fair enough because um some people think that somewhere along the way they're like hey what if we took these you know rough looking gentlemen and we just made tiny statues of them (laughs) instead of keeping them around because they stink and this is bad yeah and you also wait were they not they were getting paid though right Mm -hmm. at least they were getting paid can't really spend it on anything though at least not while you're in your contract maybe they're doing it for their family they would have their kids come and collect the money and Mm -hmm. go buy christmas shoes for their mom research on it next time (laughs) i'll bring the weird hermits who lived in rich guy's backyard in lord edgar rich guy's backyard (laughs) okay (laughs) Mm, yes, this is, that's not a British accent. You kind of sound like Jenkins. Mm, hello. It's my uh, James from Pokemon. Mm. But yeah, people are just like, what if instead of having a live person, we have a little statue, just like the of the little guys who come around and plant flowers in our yards? Because mm. that's what gnomes do. So... Yeah, anytime you're out in your yard and you see a weird little circle, it's probably from gnomes having a dance party. Or, you know, go out there and there's some daisies. That's a gnome saying, hey, what's up? That's really sweet. That's gnomes, folks. Woo! Thank you guys again so much for your support. And we will see you next time. You're doing a great job. And if you're having a bad day, just remember... At least you don't have teeth in your butt. (laughs) Bye-bye.